Good to be back in the study of Proverbs today, the last Sunday in August. This summer is uh, flying by, usually quickly for me, perhaps uh, because of the unusual year that we're having. Uh, we've been talking about wisdom in this series, and we've defined wisdom as uh, at least as much as being morally good, but perhaps even more than that, because 80 to 90 percent of the decisions that we have to make in our lives don't involve the moral and ethical uh, rules. And so uh, wisdom is about how do we behave and how do we make decisions in those types of scenarios where sometimes the moral rules are a little bit more gray and they don't always apply. That calls for wisdom. And so the subject today, as you probably gathered from the scripture reading, is what do the Proverbs have to say about alcohol? Let me begin this uh, message with a story and tell you about a friend of mine, a good friend of mine named Joe. Joe grew up in a very abusive home. Uh, his father was particularly difficult on him. Uh, Joe began to drink when he was nine years old. Can you imagine that? Nine years old. He had a very troubling childhood, uh, struggled in school, eventually ended up leaving home, found his first wife. They had two kids together, but his addiction to alcohol had a grip on him. It had such a grip on him that it actually led to his first divorce. Uh, his marriage was ruined, and after that divorce, uh, that still did not motivate him uh, to deal with his issue with alcohol. He still struggled with his addiction. Thinking he could handle it, he would come home from work each day and begin to hit the bottle immediately. His wife, Linda, would call home, and she could tell he had already been drinking, and she would dread coming home to find him the way that he often was. At this point, alcohol was beginning to destroy his second marriage as well. In talking with Joe about his use of alcohol, I asked him, Joe, did you think you could stop? He said, of course I could stop. My problem wasn't stopping. My problem was staying stopped. See, I could stop drinking, but then I never knew when I was going to drink again. And then when I drank again, I never knew when I was going to get drunk. And then when I got drunk, I never knew what I was going to do. The crazy thing about Joe was he didn't want his life to be like this. He didn't like his life like this. He wishes it wasn't like this. He hated things like this, but yet he couldn't stop. And the reason is the word addiction. Addiction. Psychiatrist and Christian author Gerald May in his book Addiction and Grace defines addiction as a state of compulsion, obsession, or preoccupation that enslaves a person's will and desire despite negative consequences. Isn't it true though with a lot of behaviors that all of us struggle with? How many of us maybe can't relate to this specific issue but something in our souls resonates in that sentiment with some other area that we have in our lives? You know, September is National Recovery Month in our country, and so for 30 years in observance of this, uh, to educate Americans, uh, we, we put forward this month of uh, substance abuse and treatment awareness, so that's why we choose to highlight this during this time of year. Addiction experts tell us that there's about 20 million alcoholics and other addicts currently living in the United States of America, and those experts also tell us that for every one addict, they negatively affect at least five other People. So that's 100 million people in this country right now that are negatively affected by alcohol abuse. That's about a third of the populace. And so this is a relevant topic for us today. If you like country music like I do, you can't seem to get away from this subject. Whether it's Luke Bryan telling me to drink a beer or Florida Georgia Line talking about raising the bottle up, down, up, down, up, down, or Dirks Bentley talking about getting drunk on a plane... All we hear about is alcohol. It's been particularly highlighted during the pandemic. 
our, our nation is running to this substance to numb the pain and cure their problems. And uh, we all saw that liquor stores were deemed essential the very first week of COVID-19. I read a study in the Seattle Times about how during COVID-19, there's been a surge with large increases in alcohol consumption as nationwide alcohol sales climbed 26% between March and June this year compared to last year. That's 26% a nationwide increase average consumption of alcohol. That's huge. Now, now, perhaps you're listening today, you're here today, or you're watching online, and this is not your thing. This is not your issue. This is not your struggle but maybe something else is. Uh, maybe it's nicotine or prescription drugs or some other illegal uh, drug. Gerald May, again, in his book, Addiction and Grace, which I highly recommend, jars us in the book when he says, actually, we are all addicts. We are all addicts. We all find things to attach ourselves to, to bring ourselves pleasure and to avoid uh, pain, whether it's sugar or nicotine or caffeine or chocolate or sex or junk food or workaholism or even our phones or our media can be an, an a substance of, of addiction for us. And so there's principles here, I think, in the message that go broadly into other areas if, if this is not your struggle. But I do want to be specific like a laser beam here and talk about the Proverbs and alcohol. This is a controversial topic amongst Christians who may disagree on this issue. Some here today practice abstinence and consider any use of alcohol to be unwise for your spiritual life. Others here today exercise moderation and find this, this to be something in your life that you can enjoy. Still others here today have issues with substance dependence and addiction in your family, and this is a sinful issue for you. And so this is one of those issues in the Bible that's actually really complicated. It's spoken of in the scriptures many times, but sometimes it's spoken of as a blessing, and other times it's spoken of as a curse. It's associated with things like merriment in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's also associated with sinful anger and shame in Isaiah chapter 5. The Bible speaks both favorably and unfavorably about alcohol. So the question is, how do we have wisdom here? Today's your lucky day. Here's what's really clear. Proverbs and the whole Bible uh, as a whole speak positively about certain kinds of behavior with alcohol, yet also condemn negatively other kinds of behavior with alcohol. So this morning, we're going to see three things. Uh, we're going to see point number one, the proper use of alcohol. Point number two, the abuse of alcohol. And then point number three, the wisdom of recovery. The proper use of alcohol, the abuse of alcohol, the wisdom of recovery. Before we dig in, would you pray with me? Let's ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we just take a moment of humility bowing our heads, but also bowing our hearts before you, for these are your words. Unless your spirit were to be at work, uh, Lord, we, we meet together and gather in vain. So would you open blind eyes, open deaf ears, and Spirit of God, we ask, can these bones live? Uh, show us ourselves today like a mirror, and then show us your Son, Jesus Christ, our only hope of freedom. In his name we pray, amen. Point number one, the proper use of alcohol. The, the book of Proverbs speaks positively about alcohol. We heard one of those verses earlier in chapter three, right? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your, all your crops. Then what? Your barns will be overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. This is speaking of wine as a source of blessing, as do the other scriptures. Deuteronomy 7, he will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine and olive oil, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. 
He will bless you with your grain, new wine, olive oil. Psalm 104, verse 14. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts. You probably know the story about how Jesus turned the water into wine at that wedding feast in John chapter 2. The Bible speaks of wine as a source of joy. Some of you may not like the fact that the Bible says that, but it does. So we must have integrity as we speak about the Bible and alcohol. One glass of wine can be a wonderful gift. But if it has to be more than that for you, then though point number one is true and biblical, we also must acknowledge point number two. The book of Proverbs condemns substance abuse. The book of Proverbs condemns the abuse of alcohol. Listen, if you condemn all alcohol use, you will be labeled as a legalist. But if you fight for alcohol or any substance, not realizing its dangers, you will be called a fool. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 brings out the negative side. Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever's led astray by them is not wise. Solomon personifies wine and beer here as a mocker, as a brawler. Uh, Being a human controlled by these substances cause mocking and they cause brawling as being under the influence to the point of intoxication. He says it's not wise. This particular proverb reminds me of that country song by Brad Paisley. I can make anybody pretty. I can make you believe any lie. I can make you pick a fight with somebody twice your size. Well, I've been known to cause a few breakups and I've been known to cause a few births. I can make you new friends or I can get you fired from work. I got blamed at your wedding reception for your best man's embarrassing speech and also for those naked pictures of you at the beach. I've influenced kings and world leaders. I've helped Hemingway write like he did, and I'll bet you a drink or two that I can make you put that lampshade on your head. Title of the song, Alcohol. Solomon told us this years ago, right? Substance abuse is not wise. I want to look more in depth at a passage in Proverbs 23. Starting at verse 29, this is what's called a riddle. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Answer, those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. In the wisdom literature, a riddle often begins with questions. In this case, six different questions with these words, who has. Notice the problems that are caused here. Did you see them? Who has emotional problems like woe and sorrow? Notice who has relational problems such as strife and complaints. Who has physical problems? Notice bruises and bloodshot eyes. Who has all those issues? Answer, those who linger over wine. The word for linger there is the idea of a fascination, being mesmerized, kind of a romancing relationship with this stuff. Friends, this is a picture of addiction. Look at the words in verse 30. The phrase, who go to, can literally be translated, who go in search of or who go exploring for. The idea is a continued and frequent, repeated behavior or an obsession with this substance. You need it. This is not an occasional glass of wine when you go out to dinner. This is a compulsive behavior. Why do people get addicted in the first place? Well, oftentimes, psychologists will say that there's a cycle involved. If you're at home, I'll put this cycle on the screen. Uh, If you're here, just kind of listen to me. The cycle begins with step one, stress in your life. 
We all have stress, any kind of stress. Could be work, could be school, could be relational, could be fears, expectations, anger, any kind of stress. Step two is when you act out. That means you cope with your stress. The addict will self-medicate the stress with too much alcohol or some other substance that brings them an escape from the pain and, and numbs their woe and brings them some pleasure. And then their brain remembers that and creates what psychiatrists call an attachment to that particular substance and then remembers that this is where I can go to get that kind of pleasure. That leads to step three. After much use, this leads to oftentimes guilt and, and remorse, sometimes even shame and depression come here. And that's when perhaps they get confronted or perhaps they just have enough of this behavior and uh, they, they start to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. And they make a commitment or they make a recommitment or they make a New Year's resolution. Or they say, I'm going to do this by my own willpower. I'm going to stop. I'm going to pour it down the drain. I'm not going to do it again. And that may last for a while, depending upon how strong your willpower is. But the problem with willpower is the will doesn't have enough power. And so this leads to more stress in our lives. And we again face those same issues. And our brain remembers, I know where I can go for relief from this. I'm going to go back to that substance. And then the cycle begins again. That cycle continues to grow and grow and grow and sometimes gets completely out of control. We develop what's called tolerance, meaning we need more and more of the same substance every day just to have the same effect. So now we're in bondage, and now we no longer have the drink. The drink has us. We're no longer ruling over it. It's ruling over us. Addiction creates lots of problems. Look again in that same chapter of Proverbs, starting in verse 32. Solomon says, in the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. You're like, you know, it's kind of topsy-turvy here. Even though there's no boat and even though you're on dry land, the room is still moving around even though you're laying down, right? Verse 35, they hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. We have beer muscles right here in Proverbs chapter 23. When will I wake up so that I can find another drink? Notice the staggering. Notice the fights. Notice the nausea here. Topsy-turvy. Drunkenness causes my actions to betray my normal behavior. It lowers my inhibitions. I say things I wouldn't normally say. It can alter my senses. How many of you have been to an office party and somebody started talking and you go, man, they're not going to want to remember this on Monday when they come back to work, right? It just kind of gets people going. You say things that says you don't remember and you never learn from it. You want more and more and more at the end here. Give me another one. The cycle continues in verse 35. There's a continued seeking after alcohol despite the negative consequences. This is an addiction. Some of you here like me, you've experienced the dark side of alcohol. You know what this can do. You know about the father who struck you when he was under the influence. You know about the mother who said things she would have never said if she had not been intoxicated. Some of you have seen the effects of alcohol abuse. Let me give you a couple, example for those, a couple of examples. For those of you young folks, 7 out of 10 college students drink regularly. If you're in college and you're watching and you just woke up a little hungover, seven out of ten of you guys are drinking regularly, and that creates a habit oftentimes. And then three out of the ten will be problem drinkers for the rest of their lives because they created that habit, they created that attachment. But binge drinking causes a long list of negative physical health effects. It threatens your ability to remember things. 
It's associated with assaults and other criminal activity. 10,000 people die in alcohol-impaired driving crashes per year, according to MAD.org. Alcohol consumption is the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States, right behind tobacco and poor diet, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Almost 6% of deaths worldwide are connected to alcohol consumption. About 100,000 people die every year of alcohol-related issues. Solomon says, in the end, it bites like a snake. It's got poison. It's lethal. This is why the scripture clearly condemns alcohol abuse. What's the, loose, what's the solution to this? Well, Solomon tells us in verse 31. Did you notice it? Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Notice Solomon says in verse 31, don't even look at it. Don't gaze at it. That's because for those who are addicts, Alcohol has an almost hypnotic effect on those who crave it. They can't even look at it without needing to have it. So notice, he doesn't say, don't drink it. He says, don't look at it. What's the problem? When we're enticed by it, when we're charmed by its color and its sparkle, in that case, he says, if you've got that kind of mindset towards this stuff, shove it aside. This reminds us of several biblical parallels. Was it not when David gazed at Bathsheba that all of his life's troubles began? Was it not when Eve gazed at the forbidden fruit that this whole world's troubles began? The enemy knows from modern times back into ancient times that the way into our heart, the way that temptation works is coming through, comes through the eye gate, comes through what we look at, comes through what we gaze at. It stirs up sinful desires inside of us. We see it and we want it, and it leads us to action. Can I ask you this morning, what do you gaze at? What do you gaze at? Solomon says, don't let your eyes get fixed on these substances. You need to fix them elsewhere. I'll get there later. That's going to get you if you fix it there. It bites like a snake. This is why the wisdom of the scripture universally condemns alcohol abuse. This is why we see the commandment of sober-mindedness throughout the Bible for all of God's people and particularly for spiritual leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the qualifications for an elder, one of them is that he is not given to wine. Alcohol impairs judgment. We see another passage that involves leaders in Proverbs chapter 31. Look at this one. It says in verse 4, It is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for the rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing. Wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Here the scriptures are being a little sarcastic, aren't they? In other words, let other people use substance and abuse it. That's not for you, a spiritual leader, Lemuel. Now, Lemuel was a king, but his name actually means the one who belongs to God. And so I think this poem is in the book of Proverbs to apply to all of us who belong to God. That's us, friends, right? You were bought with a price. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, honor God with your physical body. Now, I want to briefly address the issue that's relevant in our culture uh, of recreational marijuana coming to a ballot here in New Jersey very soon. 
The scriptures do not speak directly about the cannabis plant by name, but they do speak of other hallucinogenic drugs in places like Galatians 5, and they do speak about other psychedelic plants that are alluded to in several places in the Bible. And so it does sort of speak to this principle. But regardless of whether or not it names cannabis by name, we have to take a principle from the scriptures here and apply it in other places. And the principle is that we should always remember that the Bible forbids intoxication. The principle is that we should avoid all dependency. We should avoid, Paul says, being mastered by anything. We should deal with our problems head on with the power of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the power of the community of God, and not depend on substances or get into, into substance abuse. Recreational marijuana is becoming very popular. There's a new wave of business entrepreneurs seeking to make a profit off of all kinds of cannabis-based products. A lot of unproven claims are out there with medical and other benefits, and these have the potential to lead even unwise Christians into a life of abuse. When you're listening to claims about what marijuana can do, let me encourage you to read Proverbs 14, verse 15. The naive believes everything, but the sensible person considers their steps. If you want to read more about the damaging spiritual effects of what the DSM-5 calls cannabis use disorder, the NBC elders have put together a position paper addressing the issue of recreational marijuana in more detail. If you want a copy of that, I can get it for you. But here's what's clear. The Bible condemns intoxication. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. This is what God wants for me. This is what God wants for you. And as one of your pastors, I want you to flourish and run on all cylinders in your life. I want your life to be blessed by God. I want your family to be blessed by God. And I know this stuff can really wreak havoc on our lives. I don't want you to be ensnared. The title of the message is Get Wisdom with Alcohol. So I want you to just ask yourself one question. What does God's wisdom tell me to do on this issue? What does God's wisdom tell me to do here? And if you're not sure, ask those you respect about this. What have you seen in your life with alcohol? Now, some of you today, you will think about that question, pray about that question, and some of you will choose abstinence, and you have personal convictions here, and you will choose to give up your freedom and liberty to be part of something greater than your own preferences, and I think that's a good thing. Let me encourage you, though, you cannot impose your personal convictions on others about that. Secondly, others of you will choose to drink in moderation, key word, moderation, that is fine too. I would encourage you though, not to be in denial about you becoming dependent on that substance. Let me also say that Romans 14 makes it very clear that we are never to cause our brothers and sisters to stumble in a certain area. So be very careful that you don't set a bad example for your other brother and sister who may have an addiction issue and by you drinking gives them freedom to drink and bring destruction into their lives. We are to always think of others ahead of ourselves. That's not wise either when we don't. Whatever you do, I encourage you to above all, prayerfully consider the role of alcohol in your life Pursue wisdom in this area. This is honoring to God. That leads us to point three. I want to ask you a very direct question if you're watching online or if you're here today. Do you, do you 
have an issue with alcohol. Does alcohol appear, appeal very strongly to you? Is alcohol abuse a temptation for you? If so, I want to offer you three steps this morning. Step number one is this. You need to get honest. You need to get honest. Be honest with yourself, be honest with others, and be honest with God and admit you have a problem. Be honest. Do you need a couple of drinks every day to take the edge off? Maybe you don't think you have a problem, but those in your family would say something else. Maybe you're not falling down, passed out, but you always have one more glass than you should, and you'd like to get a little tipsy. That's a problem. There are 10 questions listed in the DSM-5 to determine if alcohol is a problem for you. I don't have time to go through all 10, but I would encourage you to take that self-diagnostic test and determine if addiction is an issue for you. Step one of getting honest is scary. This is a frightful step, but can I encourage you that it's even more dangerous to live a life of addiction and not deal with it? Spiritually speaking, our greatest fear should be the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, remember Proverbs says, is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs talks so much about living a life of honesty. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them finds mercy. Listen, guys, 2020 has been a rough year. It does not surprise me that folks are turning to this stuff to medicate the pain and turning to this stuff in order to feel better about it. It's not surprising at all, but perhaps for you, 2020 could be the year that you finally got honest. 2020 could be the year that you finally broke this chain in your life. 2020 could be the year for you that God actually sets you free. Would you have the courage to be honest? Step two, I want to say this very clearly. Get community. You not only need to get honest, you need to get community. You cannot fight this alone. That's actually part of the sickness. That's why Proverbs talks so often about wise and godly companionships and friendships, right? Addiction feeds on isolation. It grows in the dark like mold. Get community. I know there's a stigma around this. Don't let that get in the way. Your true friends will want to help you and support you to get the help you need to be sober. Tell someone you trust, hey, I need help. Find an AA meeting. Find a Celebrate Recovery meeting. Talk to your pastor. Talk to your local therapist. Talk to your physician about treatment options in the area for you. Get someone around you to help you break this chain. Get community. Step three, get honest, get community. Third, get the name of the king's son. Get the name of the king's son. Solomon wrote another book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 2, he actually tells us, I decided to enjoy myself and find out what happiness is. Solomon tells us in chapter 2, he lists everything that he tried. I tried accumulating things, building stuff, experiencing pleasure, achieving success. He says, I had it all. I had money. I had power. I had servants galore. I had huge success in my career. I, I was the king of this mighty empire. But amazingly, none of that caused him to have great and lasting happiness. He says they were all dead ends. Chapter 2, verse 17, all of it is meaningless. It's all a chasing after the wind. You see, the reason why there's that constant seeking the reason why there's that pursuing, the reason why there's addiction in the first place, the reason why there's a longing that's never satisfied is because we as human beings have actually been separated from God, our creator. 
There is only one thing that will ever fill that void in your heart. There is eternity in your heart. It is a void that can only be filled by God. This is why Blaise Pascal says there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Can you see that in your addiction, that that addiction is actually pointing you elsewhere? Can you see that that longing is actually pointing you to what you still haven't found Can you see like Bono that I still haven't found what I'm looking for on this earth? Can you see that that addiction is pointing you towards that which will truly satisfy? If you open up the big book by AA, they will tell you, you have to find a relationship with a higher power that's absolutely essential for true recovery. Now look with me at Proverbs chapter 30, verse 1. There's a man named Agar who wrote this. Surely I am only a brute not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the the knowledge of the Holy One. Verse 4, who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who, Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know. Who is he talking about? The person Agar is talking about, I think we all know. Agar is here saying, I need help. I need help from above. I need someone who has come down from heaven. I need a higher power. I need the one who established the earth. Tell me who it is. What is his name? What is the name of his son? A thousand years later, a son of David through the line of Solomon came on the scene and said, truly, truly, I tell you, someone greater than Solomon is here. He walks into his own hometown synagogue in the the city of Nazareth, opens up a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, and he says at the beginning of his ministry, the spirit of the Lord is resting upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news for the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll and says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is he saying? I'm the one that the book of Proverbs spoke of. I'm the one who established the earth. I'm the higher power that you need. I'm the highest power that there is. After all, I'm the one who created everything. I'm the one who created you. I have come to break every chain of attachment and addiction in your life. I've come to bring rivers of living water to flow into all of the desert places inside of the human heart. I have come to bring you refreshing for your very soul. What you're really looking for is me. Friends, all your deepest desires, all the longings that you have that drive you to seek out substance are all pointing you towards this greatest desire, your desire to be in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Don't you see why Paul would say things like in Ephesians 5, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God who has poured out his love into our hearts? I believe if you really want to be free of addiction, all addictions, and not just trade one addiction for another, you got to know the name of the king's son. you got to come to him in a spirit of authentic spiritual surrender. And you got to give him all your foolishness. And you got to say, I'm a brute man. What's the name of the king? What's the name of his son? Tell me if you know. And when you come to him, 
amazingly. He says, I'll trade you all your foolishness for my wisdom. I'll come and live on the inside of you. And I will bring you a satisfaction that you will not find anywhere else on the planet. I will give you my very Holy Spirit. And my love will satisfy your every longing. Get to know the name of the King's Son. Let me close with that story with which I began. On June 28, 1985, my good friend Joe found himself in a detox, Mount Carmel Guild in Patterson, New Jersey. He was 41 years old. He was being treated for alcohol. Still somewhat in a state of denial, he didn't think that he really needed help. He remembers a particular moment in his dorm room where he fell on his knees and cried out to God, would you please help me in Jesus' name? Joe said, I didn't even know who Jesus was at that point, but that's my prayer. Joe said, immediately in that moment, God took away the desire to drink. He said, from my humiliation, I became humble. And from my humility, I became teachable. And from my teachability, I became grateful. Shortly after becoming sober, Joe pursued his license as an addiction counselor in the state of New Jersey. And he's helped countless others beat this disease one day at a time. Joe just recently celebrated 35 years of sobriety in June. And it was a great pleasure to call him and say, congratulations, Joe. Friends, if you're struggling with alcohol, there is hope. It starts by submitting to God's wisdom found in God's word. But you got to get honest. And you got to get community. And you got to get the name of the king's son. Can we pray? Oh, Lord, thank you for knitting this message in my heart today for your people. I don't know how you want to use it now. But I ask for those who are struggling here today in great weakness that they would look into your eyes and find not eyes of judgment but eyes of compassion. Would you turn our sorrow into joy and turn our pain into a comfort from you? May we trust in your goodness and hope in your faithfulness even in the middle of this struggle. Fill us with patience. Fill us with the love of your presence. Find us getting wisdom from your word. Lord, we just surrender to you now. We surrender our past. We surrender our present. We surrender our future. I ask that you would take hold of every single aspect of our lives. We give you our hurt, our pain, our worry, our doubt, our fear, our anxiety, our sinful habits, and we cry out, what is the name of your son? And we want you to answer, his name is Jesus, and he has come to save you. We ask that he would wash us clean and make us white as snow. We release everything into your compassionate care, Lord Jesus. Open our ears to hear you, maybe for the first time. Open our hearts to commune with you more deeply. Open the doors that need to be open right now for treatment, for recovery. Please close the doors right now in our lives that need to be closed for good. Please set our feet upon straight and narrow roads that lead to everlasting life and life to the full. Thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. Thank you, Lord, for making us whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me so great a salvation, so rich, so free. Amen.